This is the Souls of San Francisco podcast by Souls of Society. I'm Dijon, founder of Souls of Society. Each week, we connect with a member of our community to hear their story and get to know them better so we can strengthen our community bonds. Okay, this is the third Souls of San Francisco podcast. I'm here with Lee Ferrara. Welcome, Lee. Thank you. It's good to be here. Lee is someone I took uh, a yoga class from a couple of years ago, and since then we've just been in each other's orbit. I've seen her around the street and around different events, and she's a very inspiring, grounded presence, so I wanted to have her on just to share some of her magic. Um, So we were talking a little bit before the podcast, but maybe for those people that don't know you so well, you could just... Tell us a little bit about yourself, like how long you've been in San Francisco, what brought you here, and kind of the trajectory you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, on the base level, I've been in San Francisco since November of 2002, so since I was a baby of sorts. <laughs> I moved out here right after college. I lived in Berkeley when I was still in college and had this epiphany that I'm from Boston. I had this epiphany that life could be a different way and that there were all these people out here living life in their own way, sort of carving their own paths, um, doing lots of healing work for themselves and then for other people. And so I graduated from college, put a backpack on and bought a one-way ticket and I've been here ever since. I've left a few times. I've gone abroad and I went to DC very quickly and decided that was definitely not my path. And um, something just keeps pulling me back. So did you know anyone before you moved here? Yep, I knew one person. I knew a dear friend of mine from growing up who was at CCA, she's in art school. So I lived on her couch for a couple weeks and found an apartment, found a job, um, and then it was all from there. That says a lot about who you are. I want to hear more about that process. So had you visited San Francisco and you loved it? or? Mm-hmm. So I lived in Berkeley for about a month with my friend while I was in college, between my junior and senior year of college. And like I said, I had this experience living in the East Bay of people eat differently and live differently and make choices <laughs> with what they want to do with their lives. I was like, oh, there's free will out here and people take agency over their lives. Um, and it was really inspiring and very different from what my perspective on what it was like living back east. There was, um, there, it seemed like there were these few definitive paths to be chosen and to be followed, um, and none of them seemed to fit. I mean, from when I was like really young, I just felt um, sort of different. Um, even though from, I think from the outside looking in, I probably looked very mainstream, but I felt, um, yeah, I felt this level of, um, like, what's happening here? I wish this was a different way, or how could this be different? Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a strong yes from the, from the minute I got, got out here, even for that, that month. I knew that I wanted to make a life that had choices in it. Hmm. I feel very similarly. My path was, I'm from Atlanta, and I was actually born in Boston, and oh, my, my parents were in medical school. I was in medical school and then came down to Atlanta, where my family is from, but always growing up, I just felt like there was something about the world that I wasn't being told or that wasn't being shared with me, and there were more options and choices than, than I knew about, you know, something intriguing, and when I got to San Francisco, I was just like, ah, you know, like, there's something for me here. Mm-hmm. Um, What's your, what was your life like in Boston? What was your family like? Do you have siblings? 
Yeah. Well, I grew up north of Boston, so on the water. I'm a complete water baby. Without the ocean, I feel fairly disconnected spiritually. The ocean, I swim in an aquatic park in San Francisco a couple times a week, and that is a place where I really find, even within a hustling, bustling city, I find a way to to connect on a deeper level to spirituality. So it's really important to me. So I grew up on the the ocean, about 45 minutes north of Boston. You know, again, from the outside looking in, I led this um, very traditional um, white suburban privileged life. Um, my, I have my parents, two parents that are still married. Um, my dad was the primary breadwinner. My mom was in education and she raised us until she was at home until I think I was 13 an older brother, four years older, very traditional. Um, but I grew up in a household that sort of vibrated with um, fear and anxiety. My dad was a Vietnam vet and um, is an expert compartmentalizer. So he did a great job of raising kids and, and being successful in business um, and creating a, a really warm and loving household, um, but it took a toll on him, right? And you could, I, like I said, I was very sensitive from, from when I was really young, so you could feel that vibration in our household. And my mom lost most of her family when she was very young, so she also brought fear and anxiety, and, and definitely there was like a fear of... Um, life and death in the household so you left the house to go to a slumber party and it was like bad things might happen out there <laughs> right like yeah. you you might not come back um and so you grew up in a household like that and my, my, my mom was just like that yeah you know, no trick-or-treating because people might like poison the candy oh for sure oh my god everything that was everything that was not fully like vacuum sealed for candy got thrown away and I was so sad about it you know it seems like little things but those things um they have a profound effect on your on your development and on your character and on your spirit and I'm grateful for all of them Me um, too. but yeah it makes for it makes for this disconnect that that I felt growing up and in my early adult years and I think I'm slowly over the last five years or so 35 over the last five years or so, um, coming to terms with it, but uh, what I looked like from the outside never felt like what I felt like on the inside, and because I look quite traditional, and um, people interacted with me in a in a way that didn't feel um, authentic to me, and so I felt like I was continuously trying to be like. There are more layers here, so. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to peel back some of those layers. Yeah. <laughs> so, you feel at peace and like spiritual harmony at water, and you're very emotional. So, what's your sign? Like my like my rising sun sign. Your sun sign, your rising sign, your moon sign. You know um, that stuff. I only know my sun sign. I'm a Capricorn, which means I'm supposed to be uh, quite bullheaded and stubborn and type A and um, like a natural born leader and uh, very grounded. And I can go to those places pretty quickly in, 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 in wild extremes. And I think the ocean gives me the counterbalance to that. I think that's why I feel so like, I feel like relief. I cry in the ocean all the time. I can go, I put on my wetsuit, I, you know, wave to all the tourists as they're like biking, walking by, I'm going to walk to the beach, I get into a aquatic park, into the, into the bay, and just like cry, <laughs> and do like several laps around the perimeter sometimes, and slow, like looking up at the sky, it's like, I just feel like I'm being held, and there's this complete feeling of, of ease, like I, like, like everything is, 
like I'm both insignificant and, and very much held in mm. in my significance. That's interesting. So do you are you like crying about something specifically? Like do you hold the stuff that bothers you throughout the week and then release it there? Or is it just the energy that makes you feel emotional? Depends on the day. Yeah, sometimes it'll be a place where I go and actually intentionally release. Like if something, if I have a tough work week and I'm struggling releasing, you know, if I have like back-to-back clients who are really struggling and I'm and I'm struggling with inside the inside the like concrete jungle, if I'm struggling with letting that go and really rinsing and cleansing that, then yeah, the ocean. Like I just go and let it go. Yeah. Instead of going and throwing it up on a million other people in, in not so precious ways, which I have definitely done many a times in my life, right. um, but it's something I try very hard not to do. Um, so I try to let something that's a little bit bigger and um, uh, to hold it. Um, and then sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's just the, the sheer volume of water or sheer volume or of space that I don't feel like I have in a city um, that just is like a release of um, yeah it's just like freedom so right now you're a yoga teacher I am how long have you been a yoga teacher I like to call myself a movement specialist a movement specialist <laughs> And how is that different? Uh, I'm mostly kidding. Um, I think, yeah, I think um, I call on yoga a lot for my inspiration on how I move people, but I've had a lot of other influences too from a bunch of other modalities and from other teachers who are not from the yoga tradition. So as I get further along in my career, I'm realizing more and more that... um, I'm not. I'm not only teaching yoga. And when people come into a classroom, they're they're oftentimes quite surprised by what the movement feels like because it's a little different. Oftentimes, people, even though I haven't been trained, nor have I taken any of these classes, people compare it to Feldenkrais and the Alexander Technique, which is just subtle movement. Um, so you started teaching yoga in 2008. Is that correct? Uh, September 2009. September 2009, and so it's six years, about, wait, just under six years. Yeah, I'm about to come up on an anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, How has it changed from when you started to um, what your teaching schedule and practice is like now? Great question. Dramatically, I would say. I think when you're, uh, or at least when I was a younger teacher, I didn't have a lot of intention um, in terms of what I wanted to be teaching. Or the, uh, that's not true. I had some intention. I wanted to create a, a healing space for people. I think because yoga was such a huge part of my own healing practice. I knew I wanted to pay that forward. I'm not sure I was completely present at that time um, with that fact. But I think as I've as I've grown as a teacher, the intention behind almost every moment when I'm teaching has become much more important. So like why why I create the space the way I do, what I'm saying, um, what I'm choosing not to say when I choose to say it <laughs> to a one-on-one client, either in our trajectory of us working together or even in that session, um, I've gotten a lot more honest in what I say and what I don't say. Right? I think it's just as important to, to refrain than as it is to, to say certain things. What do you mean when you say you've gotten a lot more honest? Um... Especially working with one-on-one clients, I think I was afraid of my own intuition for a really long time, right? So I had this intuition, but I didn't have a lot of training to back up what I thought I was seeing. Um, And so I would have like this hit and this intuition and sense that someone was struggling with a certain thing. And instead of 
being really present with what was going on in the room, I would let it just sort of stay there. And now I call out what's happening in the room, and that's really powerful, I think, for everyone because, A, I get to speak more truth about what I'm seeing, um, and someone gets to be seen. Um, but I think that the, I, you know, I think you have to walk a, a fine line with that too. I think so it's, there's, there's a time and a place for that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I know in my personal experience with your classes, that was, that's like my favorite thing about it. Like that's why you're so memorable to me in classes. Even the first time I went, um, I feel like some teachers are, uh, shy about corrections are singling someone out. And you singled me out like three times in the first class, but they were all about things that I was struggling with or just they even came up and like were hands-on like adjustments. And, I, and when you adjusted me, I was like, oh my God, this is so much easier now. And you didn't ask. You just like, you're like, hey, I'm going to like do this. And I was just like, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a fine line. And as I've gotten deeper into working with people with, with trauma, emotional, physical trauma and the more down like trauma safe classroom path I've gone. Um, I am even more careful with adjustments, but I think hey, it's like, I still, I still definitely adjust people. And um, even though some people that teach trauma sensitive yoga would say that that's not appropriate. Um, but I think it's all, again, it's like that intention. Like, what is what is the intention behind my touch? Like, am I doing this because I want to take your pain away? Am I doing this because I want to hopefully absorb your energy so you'll like me more and come back to my class? Am I doing this because it feeds my ego because I'm telling you to do something correctly and it makes me feel knowledgeable and important? Right? Or am I doing this um, to be of service so that you can connect more deeply with your own experience or your body or... Um, yeah, and so I think when, as a younger teacher, I think I definitely was more into making people like me. I think my ego was more involved when I was a younger teacher. Um, and taking people's suffering away and absorbing sort of what I did in my family growing up. And so now I think I've gotten my intention is different, right? Like there's an amazing meditation teacher, Adi Ashanti. There's a great quote about being careful about how much, um, how much suffering you, you take away from people because you're like taking away their, their means to their own awakening. Mm. Um, and I think you can awaken through joy and suffering. So (laughs) I wish joy and suffering. Um, and it's, it's not a matter of like wishing suffering on it, but but allow people to have their own experience. And so that feels way more intentional in terms of my teaching as I've gotten older. And also like it became unsustainable to absorb people's energy, <laughs> you know, like that will take a huge toll. And I think as healers and as teachers, we have to be incredibly careful about what we are absorbing in service of them, right? In service of our students so that they get to experience their own experience and you're and you're making room for them and for for ourselves I used to feel like at the end of the day just like I got hit by a ton of bricks you know like I like could barely walk by the end of the week I was so like laden down I didn't realize how much energy I was absorbing from other people and so I've gotten way more intentional with that and that's been important as my career has gone on because what I've noticed is as I get more sensitive, I think it's two part as I get more sensitive. And I think as the, the world shifts, you know, we're in like such a period now where there's a lot of, there's a lot of struggle going on and people are really struggling with connecting to their own bodies, connecting to themselves. Um, there's so much stimulation for people and, and stillness and, and being with themselves and being in connection with themselves and others is, harder and harder and so I really and in San Francisco too it's changed as a city and so the one challenge I'm facing now is my job feels harder (laughs) and easier in the same note you know because I'm absorbing less and and keeping boundaries and setting really strong intentions for for what I want for people but I've really felt the really felt the suffering of the city these days in the last couple of years Mm. you can feel that people are struggling 
with what do you do with like too much money <laughs> you know what do you do with like so much more stimulation what do you do with like higher rents that that push people out of the city and there's a real cycle happening in San Francisco so and I can feel it um, and so I think the healing arts is incredibly important right now and it, yeah feels like there's um and I don't think it's just San Francisco there's a there, I think there's a universal shift happening so yeah I've been inspired I was because of my upbringing and and just the vibration in my household I was in trauma therapy from 2005 and I still see my my somatic body-based therapist you know every month or so um but I learned a lot from her and then I um so like somatic that that we hold things that happen in our lives emotional and physical experiences emotional and physical traumas um that we hold them in our bodies and that we could talk for days and days and try to release them but the idea is that um in order to to really cleanse them from our system there needs to be a a rewiring of our body's physiology so our body's nervous system so that we know that that we're safe and and we can have that that ability of interacting with people the way that we want to instead of constantly reacting to to our outside stimuli but um yeah and so and my pilates teacher who i collaborate with a lot on workshops and retreats um, her name is caitlin kolb she's like a body magician huge innovator i mean like stunning concept of how our bodies work and really intuitive healer um she's a, had a huge impact on me um i have this really wonderful energy worker and Sausalito. She's sort of under the radar, so I won't say her name, <laughs> but she's had an effect on the way that I teach. And so, yeah, I, um, I struggle with calling myself a yoga teacher, uh, cause it doesn't feel a hundred percent accurate, but I'm okay with it for now. So you said that you see a body specialist yourself. So is that how you got introduced to kind of the movement therapy or world is like through your own desire for healing yes absolutely yep yes resounding yes so you were just i guess like what drew you to that so you moved out here in 2002 you said you started seeing someone in 2005 Mm -hmm. what was it in that three years that like shifted and said you said to yourself okay i want to evolve or i want to change these feelings that are existing inside of me Mm-hmm. I think I had a desire earlier than that. I think it just took me a few years to get to that person, to, to find that person. Um, <clears throat> so let's see, I lost a dear friend of mine when I was a freshman in college. And I, you know, we, uh, the idea is that if you have um, like a family structure that models for you appropriate interaction with with chaos or death or natural disaster things like that you can you can get through it um pretty well if you're if you're on the younger side um but because um because of the household I grew up in when my friend died I think there just wasn't as um there wasn't uh they were doing the best that they could but there wasn't very good modeling for how to deal with with death and mortality and then about six months later another one of my friends died both in car accidents um and I got derailed I didn't have the tools um I didn't really know how to function with that level of loss and so I developed uh, an eating disorder when I was a sophomore in college and was pretty sick until um, my senior year in college started to started to heal came out here um, and that's when my healing really started and I would say yoga is the first thing that that drew me to healing I had a videotape that my mom had given me it's a Rodney videotape and I used to do it in my apartment when I was in central New York when the sun didn't shine at all which is where I went to college so I would do it 
I would run for like a bazillion hours and then I would do yoga because my legs were killing me. They were like so tense. At one point my legs went numb. Um, and I think, you know, I, I don't know, but I think it was some level of a, uh, an emotional response to what was, you know, to probably starving myself to the emotions that were getting trapped in my body. Um, and so yoga was the yoga's entry point. I have a loyalty to, to yoga because it was really, it was the, it was an entry point. And I did a ton of yoga when I lived here in Berkeley when that summer for a month. And then when I got out here, that was, yeah, it started out as a physical practice to unwind the tension that I felt in my body, but it became so much more, it became a, a, a place for me to, to unwind and, and really start to, to, I don't know, know myself a little bit better. Right. So when did your love of yoga inspire you to become not a yoga teacher, but <laughs> a movement specialist? A movement specialist. <laughs> um, well, I think through, I, um, let's see, I did a, I was always uh, drawn to service. Um, in terms of what I wanted my career to look like. I started in the nonprofit sector. I actually stood out on the street and asked people for money. Right? I worked for for what was the fund for public interest research at the time. I don't know if it still exists. I've got a job like that. Yeah. I think it was I think I did Greenpeace. I was wildly successful really? at getting people to give me money on the street. I their wasn't credit at all. their credit card info. Um and so I actually ended up running a Greenpeace office down in Palo Alto for uh, maybe like six months or something with uh-huh. a dear friend of mine. And so I did that. I felt like I was of service, but it definitely was not the, it was not the place for me. Even though there was a huge part of it that I really liked, I really liked interacting with people. I met so many people every day. Um, and then I went abroad and... You know, I had this whole plan that I would somehow be of service in, you know, some on some level of international relations. I wanted to work for a nonprofit abroad. Where? I went abroad to Guatemala. Okay. And ended up publishing a newspaper there with another woman, landlording an apartment. It was really fun. And publishing a newspaper. Yeah. So that was my first little, that was my first snippet into journalism. And the whole point was to go there. The newspaper was acting as a connector for non, you know, NGOs and the foreign volunteers that were in the area taking Spanish language classes. But I got there. So I wanted to go and, and meet some of these nonprofits and maybe get deeper in relationship with one of them and then go to, back to school and get a master's in international relations. You know, I had the like Capricorn type A mm-hmm. plan. It was very linear and it was going to look perfect on paper. And then I fell in love with publishing a newspaper because we did everything. We negotiated business ads. We designed the ads. We edited. We wrote. And it was, it was called Entre Mundos. It was so fun. Um, so I came back here and started my journalism career. I sort of forget the question that you asked me. <laughs> I, think, I think you answered it. I was asking how you got started being a movement specialist, and you were talking about how you got started and then what you were doing before. Um, so what journalism job did you do when you got back to San Francisco? Oh, right. That's where I was headed. I worked at San Francisco Magazine. Started as an intern. I just got a subscription to them. They were giving out free subscriptions, and I was like, sure, I'll take a free subscription. Great. I like it. Yeah. I was there right when they transitioned to being published. It was a smaller rag, and then they got they got bought by Modern Luxury, and now it's big and glossy and fancy. Um, but they seem to be doing really good work now. Mm-hmm. So I worked there and then applied for an internship at Mother Jones, and did an internship and then a fellowship and then went to D.C. for a reporting fellowship with them and then came back and became their research editor. So making sure everything in the magazine was factually sound and legally appropriate. Is Mother Jones a part of San Francisco Magazine or is that something else? Totally different. It's a national political magazine, nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Um, 
quite known for human rights journalism and investigative reporting now. Been around forever. Been around since the 70s. Um, loyal, old-school following, and now they're sort of rebranding and becoming more cutting-edge and investigative. And so I worked there, and um, and it just was not for me. Like, my, I needed more of a balance, and my... And my body was like, what are you doing? This isn't working for us. And so that that pain just kept coming up. And then I threw my back out in summer of 2008 and couldn't run anymore. And was was like, there needs to be a change. So I quit my job in November 2008, took a sabbatical for about three months. And then just on a whim, really, did a teacher training and like hit the ground running from day one of the teacher training. I was like, okay, I'm just, this is what I'm going to do. I, I, I'm not really sure why, but I feel very pulled to going down this path. I feel you. I've been doing uh, this project for four years and I can't tell you how many bodily dysfunctions I've had over the course of it, you know, just like taking in people's energy or like not knowing how to move my own energy around or having like carpal tunnel from using the computer too much or like all sorts of back issues. And I just got back from Oregon at Beloved Festival when I was just like out of nature and I didn't have my camera or computer. I actually left them by accident because I was getting paid to go take pictures up there. But um, once I kind of accepted that I didn't have it, I was like, oh, this is kind of nice. And then I was like disconnected from that like technological um dopamine cycle mm-hmm. um, and able just to be present and not know what time it was and be on my own sense of time and like you know eat when I was hungry and stretch when I felt like it and it's really nice what a concept a rhythm yeah yeah it's amazing um, how disconnected we come from our own rhythms you know mm-hmm. I remember one of the first times I did mushrooms and it's like when you're thirsty it's like I I need to drink some water now (laughs) you know I have to go to the bathroom now and I feel like in our daily lives we subvert what our own needs are you know what our body is like telling us for whatever reason you know like but I definitely also feel like I'm becoming more connected to my body and wanting to honor it and kind of do what you're talking about, you know. Like I feel like this project still has things that it needs to to accomplish, but I would like to step more into a like overseer and teacher type position and like bless the actual creation of the the art or the content and, and focus more on like my physical and emotional health, spiritual health. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it can be a grind, you know. Yeah, and it's not like when I left journalism, this was, you know, becoming a yoga teacher in one of the most saturated markets in the United States for, you know, spiritual and healing arts wasn't a hustle, because <laughs> it has been. Um, and my body has definitely sent me huge signs throughout this process when I've gotten off track and still continues to do so. And I think that's what our bodies do think, thankfully, um, when we're attuned and really listening, um, you can hear those those subtle those subtle signs that our bodies are giving us, right? right. And if you aren't listening, um, our bodies will then you know the whisper becomes like a, a bigger. I say that to people all the yeah, time. Yeah, like a louder voice, and then it starts screaming at you, I and then that's it's the like universe in general, yeah. And then the sledgehammer, and <laughs> right, right. And then it's like sledgehammer screaming, right? Yeah, it's like, you just don't know what the fuck you're doing. I'm going to take control of this for a while. Yeah, yeah, or I'm going to immobilize you. And I think what you were saying about, um, uh, what were you just saying that reminded me? Just getting back to my own rhythm. Yeah, just not being, like, not just naturally going to the bathroom when you have to go to the bathroom. eating when you're hungry I think so many of us are our nervous systems are not in um, imbalance right so we're either depleted 
and maybe too much in our rest and digest and more in that depressed, um, deflated state or we're in that hyper-aroused, overstimulated space. And I think a lot of us swing between those two versus being in an energized um, sympathetic response, you know, sympathetic site that like that more inspiring fight or flight response, but can be positive in an energetic way. And then there's the rest and digest mode, which can also be energizing and positive. It's like when you're calm and peaceful. Um, And so I think we struggle with that balance between like, there's this really cool modality called heart math. That's doing all this research about our brains and how, Breathing into your heart, they have like 52 tools, so I'm gonna not do them justice, but go look it up. Um, they have, math. yeah, okay. um, they are doing all this research around breathing into your heart and thinking thoughts of compassion or acceptance, um, and then sort of asking your, they think of the heart as an intuitive organ, asking your heart what it really wants and and needs and letting it do more of the guiding has actually shown um, an increase in mental clarity, like as they call it, coherence of your actual heart rate variability, which is measures the, the balance of your sympathetic and parasympathetic system. So just being more in tune with ourselves, I think this separation of self is has got us um, spun. I totally agree. We have so many things to stimulate our mind. And, uh, you know, I've taken a lot of time to develop my, here, use this one, to develop my heart. Thank you. And I feel like our society doesn't necessarily place a lot of value on, on like heart knowledge or even having that conversation. There's a difference between like heart, heart intelligence and mind intelligence, right? Which I feel like we probably get out here because we're steeped in that language, but maybe in Boston or other places, it's like, like I remember specifically in Atlanta growing up, our way of relating to each other was like sarcasm and and like making fun of each other. Or ourselves. Or ourselves or like cutting each other down or like self-deprecation and it's all very like inhibiting, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's not an encouraging environment to try to expand or be different. Like I remember one friend specifically, uh, my friend Brandon, when we were, like, in, in high school and, like, learning how to, to drink and, like, everyone would go buy PBR and then you would buy PBR even though your friend bought PBR and he was already buying, like, you know, like, Shinerbach or, like, St. Pauli's Girl, just these, like, kind of strange artisanal beers and we would, like, make fun of him for it. We'd be like, oh, that's gay, you know, or, like, what are you doing? Like, you think you're whatever because he was trying to try something new and then, you know, we realized that sense of adventure is actually what I know I want, you know, not just in relation to like trying new types of beer, but just having an openness to new experiences and cultures. And But the culture where I was from just wasn't suited to support that, you know, it was suited to keep people in the same like trench, you know? Yeah. 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 I think we're scared. You know, I think we're scared of, of what's different from, from us. I think we're scared of Sometimes I think we're more scared of what's similar to us, you know? There's so much of that mirroring that goes on in in the world where we're all just walking around reflections of each other and we see something in someone else that that is very frustrating and instead of going, oh, like, I'm a little curious about why I'm so frustrated by this person right now. Mm-hmm. Instead, we go, that person is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, we're, like, constantly seeking out ways to disconnect from what's uncomfortable, and therefore we end up disconnecting from other people, but really we're just disconnecting from ourselves. It's definitely true. I feel like doing this project helped me to realize that everything is just a reflection, right? Because I'm taking pictures of people, and I can see how what space I was in and like what I was going through in my life, like there'd be everyone that week would have the same look on their face, right? Or if I look at pictures from like the last six months, you know, everyone's kind of smiling and stoked and their eyes are bright. And before there was like this intensity that people were reflecting. 
Um, and it's, it's all me. Like, I kind of feel like they're all self-portraits in a way, right? Because it's, it's a reflection of my energy field. Yeah. Well, and that makes such a, and I think about that teaching all the time, right? We actually have, I mean, it's science, right? We have that electromagnetic field that is actually affecting other human beings. I think about that all the time when I, when I teach a class and I feel so connected and you can just feel, I can feel the, the ripple of my own energy. It's like everything is, I'm rippling out. I'm not absorbing anybody else's energy. I'm not like, well, let me take that away from you. Let me absorb your pain. I'm just giving from from like a totally full cup, right, overflowing. And then there are times where I feel really energetically drained. And I try really hard not to bring that into the classroom, but sometimes I do. And I can feel it. I'm like, oh, yep, you are definitely affecting this room. <laughs> like, get a handle on it. <laughs> you know, and so I try to go, okay, I'm doing the best that I can and create a little bit of compassion around that. But yeah, I think that it's interesting as a teacher and I'm sure you've seen this as a public speaker too, right? You, It's so much, it's so much less about what you are saying sometimes and way more about how you are saying it and the actual actual resonance in your voice and the the way you show up really affects people yeah I've I've definitely tapped into that public speaking I mean I haven't done a ton of it but more listening to people right because you can tell someone's relationship to what they're talking about by the tone of their voice right like if someone to call you right now and I heard you pick up the phone I could probably know if it was your mom or your boyfriend or like you know, just who that person is in your life, right? Like, mm-hmm. Or if something's challenging to talk about, like where people's voice goes inside their body, you know, like they get like small and they're mm-hmm. like, and their breath isn't really coming out, you know? Yeah, yeah. I taught at uh, Wanderlust, the, the yoga and music festival in up in Squaw Valley uh, in the middle of July. And they make you mic for the bigger classes. And so... I took it off, right? Because I just couldn't, it was such a level of separation. There was no way for me to, I mean, I think I could have, but it felt so foreign for me to project my voice through this object. And so I just took it off and made sure everybody could hear me and projected strongly from my diaphragm. And it felt so much better. And even just having this thing like over my head, wrapped around my ears, you know, it just felt, it felt separate. So... I think it's really important to to be able to to connect with one-on-one groups yeah I totally think that's important too but that also brings up an interesting point about the way that technology amplifies our energy and presence mm-hmm. because for me um, I specifically chose this path of doing this project because I knew it can amplify these one-to-one interactions like we're recording this podcast right now. So this technology that we're using is going to save it and allow other people to listen to it. Mm -hmm. And then I can share it with people all over the world. Um, So I do think there's something to the integration of like this authenticity and soulfulness, but also using these tools that that we have to um, take us even deeper. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think I'm just in process. Like it was a really big deal for me to, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And I, and I, I do agree on a certain level. I'm getting there. But yeah, I, I mean, I think it's different when you're teaching a class because then it's like, it's happening right then. If it's something you haven't used, I can understand how that would be difficult. Whereas like this, you know, it's not actually affecting the way we're interacting. It's just kind of in the background, right? Yeah, you just forget that it's there. Yeah, I think I had, you know, my ideal classroom is 10 people intimately connecting and moving together. So it was it was a leap enough for me to go and stand in front of 150 people and, and try to create that same level of intimacy and that same level of resonance for people. And so I think maybe next year I can use a mic. <laughs> but I wasn't ready. I was like, this is enough. I got to take this machine off. <laughs> Maybe you could get a mic and practice around your house or walk around the street with it. Yeah. Talking to people with uh, a microphone. 
Uh, yeah, just go start talking just to like, like order a juice with the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try that. <laughs> so um, we were talking before about this passion conference coming up in October, and you're gonna be, you know, leading yoga, and that's gonna be in front of a bunch of people, and you're doing this wanderlust thing, and I've also noticed that dedication to my path has had me in a place where I seem to be communicating with larger groups of people like how do you see that continuing to expand and like how do you feel about that expansion um good question Uh, I feel good about it I it felt really natural for me I I can't say I was 100% looking forward to wanderlust it felt not necessarily out of my comfort zone. It just didn't feel like the what I thought my path was going to look like. Um, I do connect really well one-on-one. I connect really well small groups. I mean, I teach bigger classes sometimes, but we're talking like 40 people. Um, and I just, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see myself in front of larger groups. And then, it happened, you know, I got the opportunity. I said yes for some reason, right? I could have said no. Mm-hmm. So I had agency. Again, I got choice, right? I had agency over what I wanted to do. I did it and I loved it. Um, I really liked being able to, like you're saying, with this microphone and, you know, the reach that you can have. Um, I think there's such a need right now for people to be in a place of connection and technology has shifted the way that we connect. Um, and for us to be able to reach way more people than we could have before is, is a gift. And it doesn't mean we have to accept the gift, right? Again, we can choose, but it felt, it felt really right for me to be there. I had a very positive experience. I got tonsillitis. I think there was a little anxiety about speaking in front of so many people, but still, it was all in all a very positive experience. So I feel like that's, and then the the passion conference start, um, I got the email from Jessica and that felt like a no brainer. So clearly I keep saying yeah. So um, I think just based from acting from my gut, it feels really good. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like going forward, but um it feels like it looks like this now. Yeah. And, you know, it's really cool. I taught a forum on building a trauma-safe classroom to practitioners up at Wanderlust, which was a very unique and different offering than, than what was up there. And I never would have met. There were, I think, 35 practitioners in the room. I never would have met those people because they were from all over, you know, New York, Boston, down south, Sacramento. I just wouldn't have had, just like through through Souls of San Francisco, like, you know, I wouldn't have run into them on the street. Mm-hmm. Our, our lives wouldn't have interacted. And it was one of the most magical hour and a half I've, I think I've had in my lifetime, mm-hmm. honestly. Which I know that sounds dramatic, but I, I think it's true. It felt so, felt so true and real. And so sometimes we got to step outside the, the linear path. <laughs> it's true I'm glad you said that twice now about stepping outside of the linear path because I feel like I have been stepping out of like the linear masculine way of trying to achieve things you know like when I came out to San Francisco or really my whole life you know I've kind of been interested in this idea of enlightenment right like and for me I thought of it as a like a point that you get to like a line that you cross and then when you cross the line you're like I'm enlightened right and then your work is kind of done and uh you know it's just definitely not the case right like to me I found it it's much more like balance like almost saying like tree pose right like you're standing and then sometimes you wobble and then you have to put your foot down and then you have to regain that balance and it's like I I understand that mentally and then intuitively I'm still getting tested. Like I recently decided that I wanted to see a hundred sunrises in a row. And that was like an incredibly expansive process, you know, as far as me dedicating time to myself. And it really was 
it changed everything about the way I interacted with myself, right? Like I went to bed earlier. So like my social life was like changed. I would get up earlier and have all this time to myself. I started cooking more because I had like more time. Um, and it was really expensive, but at day 55, that was actually when Frank, like right, like maybe a day before I found out Frank had passed. I was in New Orleans at the time. Um, my friend Frank, who was in a car accident, I was telling you about. And then I just was like, I was going to stop. I was like, I'm going to stop this now and just be in my own space and uh, kind of allow for, like, the darkness, right? Like, because it's not a, an escalator to enlightenment, right? It's more like a, a spiral staircase where you, like, pass from, like, the light side to the dark side, but... As you elevate, you get to the same point, but it's a level above where you were before. So you're like, ah, I recognize this space, but I'm at a higher perspective. Like I can cognitively and emotionally, intuitively understand more about what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that's just further cementing that insight, you know, to allow myself space for, for both sides, you know. I want to be productive and I want to help the world be a better place. But sometimes I like to watch Netflix yeah. <laughs> and find out and, yeah. and watch like binge watch a season of Orange is the New Black or whatever. And, and to like let that, to let that be okay, you know, and just, um, and just the year made me think about this teacher, this student of, that I took teacher training with, um, was telling a, another teacher that um, that they meditate for some amount of hours, and and the teacher, with no level of judgment whatsoever, said for for what end, you know. And so I think it's I think sometimes again, like you're saying, it's it's not this thing we're trying to get to, and I think we forget that too. I'm thinking about this quote. I'm gonna ramble a little bit. I'm thinking about this quote that somebody once told me about how it's not like you're a nice person or an enlightened person or a compassionate person. It's these things, it's these qualities that we practice day in and day out. It's like, um, I think they compared it to dental hygiene. It's like you're, you're not a clean person. You make choices throughout your day to like brush your teeth or not. <laughs> you know or like you know and like no judgment on brushing teeth right but it's like not right or wrong but just making these choices to like do like to to do an act that is compassionate yeah um, spiritual hygiene yeah yeah so I think that that's a really important distinction um and to cut yourself a break if the linear path you know a hundred sunrises if something happens and you need to shift what your needs are in that moment. Yeah, I think that that's exactly it. It's being present, right? And we have so many ways to try to avoid being present, whether that's, you know, scrolling on Facebook or even sometimes I feel like there's this balance between like setting intention, right? Like a hundred sunrises or even like getting married to someone, right? This is our dynamic and this is always going to be our dynamic, right? Um, it just seems sort of outdated to me as opposed to being fully present and being aware of what your relationship is and checking in about it and constantly communicating about it and just being able to be flexible because for me, that's when suffering comes in, when you're resistant to what is actually going on. You know, you're like, well, yesterday it was this way, or five minutes ago it was this way, right? And I want it to continue to be that way, but nothing stays the same, right? So you just have to, I feel like, develop a deeper sense of trust that however things do change, it's for your expansion, you know? And in my personal life, since I've had so much experience with people and where my path is taking me, I do feel pretty trusting about that because like, my life is awesome, right? Like, <laughs> right? Like, mm -hmm. um, I know, look at this space. This space, yeah. yeah. Manifested it, right? Mm -hmm. Just like following 
where I'm being led. But I feel like that's hard to... It takes work to get there, right? Because that means you have to follow your, your intuition as opposed to following all the external things that tell us how we should live or what we should find important, you know? Yeah, and you have to be still or slow down enough to actually develop um, a relationship with your body again so that you can actually listen to those signals. I think that's sort of what we were talking about earlier. Um, People are moving so quickly and filling their lives as much as possible um, because it's gotten so difficult to, to stay still and to be connected to ourselves. So these practices, these mindfulness practices, um, you know, movement practices, just something to help us relearn and be in relationship. It's just like a marriage, be in relationship with our bodies so that we're like, oh, my body really loved this diet or this person or this commute to work or watching sunrises for years and now it doesn't like it anymore and it keeps telling me that it doesn't like it anymore but I'm not listening because yeah, you're just pushing with your will yeah because be or because I I don't I don't have the communication skills right it's just like building communication skills with a partner I don't have the communication skills or we haven't like built those those conversational skills with our body um so we, we can't talk to it, <laughs> right? And so like really learning how to talk to it. Um, and again, with like a sense of compassion and acceptance, right? Without being like, okay, my body is telling me this, like that must mean this, but really just giving it space and... Just being soft. Mm-hmm. So with, you know, now that we're kind of looking at your trajectory that you've been on from Boston to New York to Berkeley to the Bay to a journalist to a yoga teacher do you feel like you can see your trajectory and like where it's going or do you have a sense of what your purpose is in life um my whole brain just like fogged (laughs) (laughs) I'm like I don't know um you know, I had lots of ideas. I'm in such a place of... I got evicted in February from from my home and my sanctuary in San Francisco, and it was very difficult, harder than I thought it would be to get uprooted from... You know, my home was always this thing that allowed me... This is like one anchor that allowed me to take risks in so many other ways. And it was like that was the thing that would always be there. Mm-hmm. And so it asked me to shift that because it wasn't there anymore and so I had to really get way more flexible and continue to take risks even if I didn't have a single idea of what would happen um so right now I'm in a transition I um there there's still a dream of mine I've had a dream since I was really young of of opening up a like an integrated community healing center and um, and that is still that is still there, and yet it's not quite the time for me right now. Um, so I see, I see more um, conferences and festivals. I see deepening my collaboration with with Caitlin, the the movement innovator, Pilates genius, body magician. Um, yeah, and I see. I just launched my new website, and I have made a commitment to to get back to writing, which I really miss. Mm. And your website is leeferrara.com. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. Um, um, it's very unknown. I just found my my sanctuary of an apartment. The one bedroom, sweet as can be. And that feels really important right now. So I'm going to rest in that for a little bit and let home hold me a bit mm-hmm. and, um, and see where that takes me. But 
Yeah, there's. I, I feel like I'm on the, the precipice of a lot of really exciting things, and I don't really know what any of them are. Mm. <laughs> well, you seem pretty serene about it and excited. That's nice. Yeah, I've had to... I It wasn't easy. I'm not very good with the unknown, um, nor am I uh, wildly patient. And I have developed that, both of those skills, I think, in the last six months after being evicted, I have really, um, you talk about like the innately masculine and feminine. Um, I definitely have throughout most of my life put a lot of masculine energy behind how I go about things. Even though my classes are incredibly um, feminine in the way that they, they hold space. Um, but I have I've definitely pushed and overridden for a long time. And my body always tells me when, when I've pushed too hard or overridden too much. So I'm, um, I'm cultivating a, a different way of interacting with my career, which is just going to see how it goes. <laughs> um, and that feels really good. feels like there's a lot of freedom there. And every time I let go of something or let go of the grip, something really, really incredible falls into my lap. So... It's a great reflection. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that that will that will still be the case. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, um, I want to honor your time, so I'm just gonna ask a few like rapid fire questions before we finish up. Oh, I love this lightning round. Lightning round. I don't really love this because I get really indecisive. But go. <laughs> so, so then you can just say the first thing that comes to mind and not overanalyze it too much. All right, what is one of your favorite things about yourself? That I'm very loving. What are your love languages? Hmm, like of the five languages of love? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, words of affirmation and touch. Okay. Um, if you really, really knew me, you would know that. For myself? Mm-hmm. That I'm fragile and sensitive and that I project a very, very, I've got all of this together mentality, right? Like heart of the shell, soft of the center type of thing. Hmm. Heart of the shell, soft of the center. I've never heard that before, but I like it. Yeah. Just like, yeah. And last thing is describe your dream day from start to finish okay I wake up probably around 6.30 a.m. it's very quiet um, it's mild in temperature not too hot a little bit of a breeze I drink some water I start to get up put on a cozy robe, make a cup of coffee, decaf now, because I've learned the hard lesson over and over and over again that my disposition does not love caffeine. It just becomes more, more anxious and frenetic. Mm -hmm. I have less, less mental clarity. Um... And so I would drink that very slowly, relax, maybe journal a little bit, write some stuff, read a bit, something, something that starts to get my brain going. And then I would practice the slow, restorative movement practice, maybe 45 minutes, maybe an hour. I would walk to the ocean. It would be very close. I would get in the water, swim. Come back, take a shower. Is this too much detail? No, it's <laughs> perfect. Come back. I mean, the ocean. Talk about caffeine. The ocean is such a. It's that that plunge where you just. I feel so clear and fully capable of articulating. I had this incredible conversation with this woman who runs this nonprofit called the Breathe Network. I should connect you with her. Okay. So cool. 
Molly. Um, and I had just got out of the ocean and it was such a vibrant conversation for many reasons because she's so vibrant, but because I had just gone out of the ocean for sure. Like I was like, Oh, I'm ready. Let's talk. Um, and then I would come back and I would get ready for my day, which would be me commuting, hopefully not in a car to, this collaborative community center, whether it's mine or somebody else's. I don't think that's of extreme importance to me right now. But that's where I would see some private clients one-on-one. And there would be lots of other really incredible people doing work, body-based movement, mindfulness practices, all practicing, um, like other practitioners. Maybe teach a couple group classes at that center. And take a stroll home back to my my little bungalow some like little craftsman house or again it's quiet have dinner with with friends or a lover and then wind down my evening you know either cooking dinner or going out for for dinner and then being in bed by 10 p.m. And I love listening to like some sort of yoga nidra meditation before bed. Yoga nidra. I've yoga heard of nidra. that. It's like yogic sleep. Hmm. So it takes you to it through a process. I'll send you my latest newsletter. I, latest newsletter. Second one. It's becoming a routine tradition. Um, I'll send it to you. There's a little blurb about how wonderful it is. It's really good for insomnia. which I don't have but I still really like listening to there's this one woman who has an angelic voice and so it allows me to get into a really deep sleep and then I would wake up again at 6.30 usually my natural wake time my natural rhythm is 6.30 sounds nice how'd I do? Mm, there's no grades here (laughs) but I enjoyed listening to it I can picture it I think we all could picture it yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing this presence. Oh, you're very welcome. It's such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I look forward to seeing how this unknown time starts to mold itself. I look forward to taking some group classes in your healing space. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.